Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Pastor Brian Gibbs. Bibles tonight, to go to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 16. Just a couple more minutes, Cody, thank you. Hallelujah. So glad you're with us tonight. Really, so glad you're with us tonight. I couldn't wait to get here tonight. I have expectation. You know what else I can't wait for? It's my wife's turkey and gravy. <laughs> I, I cannot wait for the Gibbs Thanksgiving meal because I'm telling you what, we know how to do it right. Brent and I will be up early. We will make a beautiful big turkey we're going to make a massive meal. We're going to honor God. We're going to worship in our house. We're going to enjoy our kids and each, enjoy each other. And I'm, I'm really trying to get a lot accomplished uh, by Monday so I can turn my phone off the rest of the week and just give myself to my wife and my kids and just have Thanksgiving. I encourage you to do the same whenever you can. So. I heard that. I heard that out there. <laughs> Are you in Matthew 16 tonight? So, Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the power of your presence, Lord, this place. I want to encourage you to just turn your affections towards the Lord, Victory. Turn your affections towards the Lord in these next moments as we enter into this time in the Word. Turn your affections towards the Lord. Let your heart continue to worship and soar with the Lord, but let Him impart revelation into your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Cody. Before we begin to look at Matthew 16, I'm going to try to um, not really bring closure, to, but bring more definition to where we were at last week concerning the church that really Jesus is building. Jesus made a amazing proclamation. He said the church that he is building, that the gates of hell, they will not prevail against it. What a powerful, powerful word. I want to talk about this tonight. I want to talk about the ecclesia, <clears throat> this church is what it means. It's the word that Jesus used, this ecclesia that he is building, that the gates of hell do not prevail against. Amen. I want to introduce a few people tonight. You can put it in your notes and 
If you've never studied these individuals, I want you to just look up the man. His name is William Wilberforce. And I want to talk for a few minutes about him. I want to talk about Francis Asbury with you as well for a few moments. But I want to, I want to bring a few correlations. I'm going to introduce even George Washington into this and Abraham Lincoln into this. And I believe that the Lord is going to use some, some components of their lives to bring about revelation for who we are and for this hour that we're contending in. William Wilberforce, if you study his life, he was impacted by a mentor in his life. His name was John Newton. John Newton authored a song that all of us sing to this very day. It's amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind. But now I see. His name was John Newton. He was a slave trader. He was a slave trader in England. And God so rescued John Newton's life and broke him, broke him from the horrendous injustice of slavery that England was involved in at this time. He was powerfully saved. And he began mentoring an apprentice named William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce wrestled often with his calling. His calling with the gospel and his calling in parliament with England. He would often go to his mentor, John Newton, who encouraged him to stay the course in parliament. And William Wilberforce became possessed by a vision He became obsessed by a vision for abolishing slave trade. William Wilberforce stood in the high courts. And I want you to catch these words tonight. He stood in the high courts of parliament for legislation to be drafted to destroy and abolish slavery. He would stand And he would denounce slavery fiercely, boldly, while he was mocked, while friends turned away from him. What William Wilberforce had the presence of mind to do and the wisdom of God to do was to reach out to those who were influential throughout all the mountains of his nation, throughout the arts, throughout the government, throughout the media, all the spheres that he could to begin to move a cultural, literally birth a cultural movement to loose a word over his nation that slavery was an abomination unto God. Slavery was an abomination unto God. It needed to be denounced. It needed to be repented of. And and England needed to turn away. And legislation needed to come to the nation to end slavery. Forty years. Remember this. Take some notes tonight. Forty years of his life. from From the time he was a young man. From the time he was a young man giving the prime of his life, the very strength of his life, the very essence of all that he was as a young man. He stood in parliament year after year getting stronger, getting bolder, getting 
fierce against slavery. And finally, legislation would be drafted in the Parliament of England to end slavery. It's a powerful story. But I want to use him tonight to set up this prophetic statement tonight. I want you to write this down. I want you to write down that reformation begins at the top and revival begins at the bottom. And I'm going to go somewhere and I'm, I'm going to develop this prophetic word. Reformation begins at the top and revival begins at the bottom. There would be another man who would be in another fierce fight in another nation. It wasn't England. His name was Abraham Lincoln. And God had a mantle on his life. God had a divine assignment. God had a heavenly calling upon him to lead this great nation as the 16th president of the United States of America. But it would be his divine assignment to become the emancipator and to deliver this nation from the gross tyranny of slavery. There would be another man that I want to introduce into the story that his name was Francis Asbury. Francis Asbury. And in the mid-1700s, mid when God was using George, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield, as God raised these men up, Throughout Scotland, throughout England, throughout Ireland, for the great awakening, God would use these men to launch into America, to launch us literally into our first great awakening. These three pioneers, John and Charles, George, God used these men, raised these men up mightily. They were firebrands. They were revivalists. But the Wesley brothers so impacted a young man, if you've never heard of him, his name was Francis Asbury. Francis Asbury. And in 1771, in Bristol, England, they were having the conference, the Methodist conference there for revivalists and messengers. And John Wesley stood up in that conference in 1771. He said, I'm looking for young lions to go to America. I'm looking for young lions to go to America, to the 13 colonies of America, to cross the Atlantic and go and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will go for us? Who shall we send? Who will go for us? History tells us that a young 26-year-old man, young man named Francis Asbury, stood to his feet and answered the call of God. He would leave behind his family. He would leave behind all of his friends. He would leave behind his fiance. He would leave behind his work as a coal miner. And he would cross the Atlantic, landing on this nation. And if you go to the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C., you can go three blocks of the White House and you can sit in a park where Francis Asbury's statue is there standing. You will see him high upon his horse. You will see him dressed as the frontiersman with his hat, with his boots, with his long frontiersman coat. You will see him sitting upon his weathered horse. You will see his satchel across 
the saddle of that horse. He is known as the prophet of the long road. Look him up. Study his life. He's known as the prophet of the long road. Francis Asbury, this young prophet that braved the frontier. His ministry was not met with, you know, really plush, beautiful hotels for his ministry. He didn't have Uber services. He didn't have great offerings and and great churches that were just ready to receive him and excited to receive him. He literally was... He was literally surviving most of his ministry crossing the 13 colonies of America on bread and water. Every year annually, he would ride his horses. He had so many horses die on him. He would ride a horse annually 6,000 miles per year. In 45 years... Forty-five years of ministry, he clocked in over 250,000 miles on horseback, preaching the gospel to villages that were being settled as America was expanding. You can go to towns all over this country that have the name Asbury on it. There are colleges named after Asbury. There are uh, hotels. There are, there are hospitals There are ministries named after Francis Asbury. Why? He was a burning revivalist. He literally helped shape our culture of America to be Christian. Why do I do these things? Because I think we have to capture the essence of the pioneering spirit. As Cody exhorted us tonight to think about the generation after generation from the time of Adam to here we stand and worship our king in 2018. We've got to think about those who have gone before us. And we've got to remember the sacrifice that they have given for literally our freedom to come together and worship our king. Francis Asbury was also a man that burned with the message to abolish slavery. Because to the revivalists and the firebrand of that day, they did not separate church and state. Understand this. From the very founding of our nation, the revivalists that came here, they did not just preach the gospel. They stood in their pulpits, brave, courageous, fierce calling out for righteousness. They were preachers of righteousness. Francis Asbury was a prophet of righteousness. Oh, how America needs prophets of righteousness and truth to burn in the pulpits again. And Francis Asbury met with a man that we are all familiar with. His name was George Washington. And he begged him. And he fiercely encouraged him to abolish slavery. Now I want you to think about something. And stay with me because I'm introducing these figures tonight because we are generationally, generationally linked. 
God knowing all things, knowing all things, knowing that America was on the precipice of a soon coming day under the watch of Abraham Lincoln's day, knowing that a civil war, a bloody civil war was coming. Are you all with me tonight? So the Lord sends Francis Asbury to George Washington really as a mercy arbiter, as a prophet of mercy. Are you getting this? Because God knew the day that was coming, and yet slavery kept on and kept on and kept on. Now we fast forward to the day of Abraham Lincoln. It took over 600,000 lives being slain. 600,000 lives being slain in the Civil War to end slavery. Now I'm going to submit something to you because I think you're connecting the dots already. Reformation begins at the top. What do I mean by that? Because at the top, at the high places, at the high places is legislation. At the high places where William Wilberforce stood in Parliament, and what did he do? As a soldier, he was warring against injustice in the high places. Do you see this? Because once legislation was drafted, ladies and gentlemen, slavery was able to be abolished in England. But that wasn't our story. There was a different kind of warfare that had to go on from the bottom up. Revival starts in the grassroots. Revival grows from the grassroots up. Where Reformation, what we're contending for, what we're contending for and what we're getting our mind renewed to is way beyond just, just us staying content for personal revival. And oh, how we need to be ever burning. We need to be the ever burning ones in personal revival. But we're believing for a national awakening by the Spirit of God. Shaking this nation, transforming this nation, returning the heart and the core of our nation back to God. But something beyond awakening is reformation. We have to be in this for the long haul, what I call generational reformation. I heard somebody say one time, you cannot legislate righteousness. I don't agree with that at all. Because you can sure legislate unrighteousness. And it's happening right now in the halls of Washington, D.C. by demonically inspired people that are codifying laws that are anti-God, anti-Christ, and enforcing them upon the United States of America right now, and they are legislating unrighteousness. Don't tell me we cannot legislate righteousness. 
William Wilberforce would have a very good argument tonight. He gave his life standing where? In the high places of government. Are you catching this tonight? I haven't given you chapter and verse. Yeah, I gave you Matthew 16. I'm telling you, you, you need to eat this tonight. You need to let it, you need to let it, let it to be considered in your spirit so that we start seeing prophetically. We are going somewhere as a church, and there is a radical, radical shift that the Holy Spirit is doing within the life of the church in this hour. I am telling you, we are moving beyond people who are just insulating our lives so that we can stay comfortable. We are not those who are just subscribing so that we can have a life of peace and quiet. So that we just have a nice, peaceable life. The church is not really accomplishing much by subscribing to that. I told you last week, see, the enemy, the enemy heard Jesus when he said, Go disciple the nations. This is Matthew chapter 28. He said, Go disciple the nations. He didn't just say go and make some converts in the nation. He said go disciple the nations. So the church has been caught up in a cycle of having good meetings, inspirational meetings, and the the enemy is okay with that. The enemy is okay with adrenaline. He's good with hype. He's good with even some good services. As long as you don't turn your face like a flint and start asking God boldly and courageously, what is my assignment? Because when you start asking God, not what your pastor or leader's assignment is, what is your assignment? I'm not here just so, you know, I get behind this. This does not validate that I have a ministry. A pulpit, we're not even in a sanctuary. For those of you watching online, we're in a real estate association building. Hey. Hey. And all of these faces looking at us on the walls, they're not our missionaries. They're creepy realtors. Ha, ha, ha. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This this pulpit in this room doesn't validate me having a ministry or any of you. We've got to ask God, God, what is your high calling upon my life? We saw the ecclesia in operation this morning from this very family going into a school in our region, lifting up the banners of the Lord. Interceding, interceding, worshiping, declaring, pushing back the forces of darkness because we're going to see an epic shift. We're not going to tolerate this agenda destroying the children of America. If you think the battle is going to cease from being fierce, you're already deceived. The battle is going to get more and more fierce. 
And it's not about Brian being bold. It's about the church. It's about all of us becoming very bold and very powerful and very discerning and very passionate about invading the darkness where we're called to go. Thank God Francis Asbury stood up and said, I'll cross the Atlantic and I'll go. He literally helped shape our Christian civilization of the United States of America. Uh, when, I, when I just think about the pioneers, when I think about those who have gone before us and the price that they have paid, the price... When I think about the price that Abraham Lincoln had to pay, the price that George Washington had to pay. Oh, my God. It's sobering. It's sobering. I'm telling you, we need, we need to take these sobering doses so that we sit and think deeply with God. We get, we get our lives quiet from all the clutter, you know. And the, I mean, our lives are like, the traffic in Los Angeles. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Y'all been there. I, I've been there. My God. I mean, the, the, the highways and the highways and the cement and the, 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 just the grid of traffic. Our lives are like that. I'm telling you, we have to unclutter our minds to spend quality time with God, to start asking brave, courageous questions, getting alone with God and saying, God, what do you want me to do? How do, how do we approach this? How do we, how do we deal with this in our very county? How do we deal with this in our city? How do we deal with this in our region? You all know that last week, my wife and I, we went down to Broward County. And we went there incognito. We went with our ball caps and our shades on. And we didn't talk to anyone. We didn't talk to the news. We didn't engage with people. We went there and we prayed for hours. We just prayed. And we declared and we decreed. Because we are a company of worshipers and watchmen and warriors. And this is our watch. And this is our time. And we're not to lay back. We're not to lay back and tolerate these things happening in our state and in our nation. We're not to tolerate this level of corruption and deception. Man, you're leaving me up here all alone tonight. I don't know where are you. We can't tolerate this, folks. And it's, it's listen... <laughs> It's not enough for me just to be able to get up here and blast the word of the Lord. The reason that there is such a soberness to who I am and the fabric and the core of my being is because this is the hour that we're in. It is not peace, peace, ladies and gentlemen. It is not a peace, peace hour. This is, this is not a comfort hour. This is not the, the, you know, let's go on a spiritual vacation for the next 30 years, hour. And a lot of churches are doing that. They're on a cruise. They're on a cruise. Y'all okay? They're, they're on, I'm not talking about, cru well, you can say cruise control. I'm talking about a cruise. Wow. 
Jesus takes his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. This is where the occultists and the demonized were doing rituals to defile themselves and defile the nation of Israel. When Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, he takes them to a place that is literally called the gates of hell. Those of you that were on our team, you'll remember as we went to Israel that we stood at that cave where there was, there was the idols and there was, there was the remnants of the idols of the temples that were made to Zeus, to Pan, and to, oh, help me, Lord, and to Baal. To, to Baal, to Pan, and to Zeus. There was literally human sacrifice happen, happening there in Caesarea Philippi. Human sacrifice. The little stream that we stood by, that, we, that I took the water from the Potomac River from, the, from Washington, D.C., that I took with me and poured in that stream for the healing of our nation, for abortion to be abolished in our lifetime, was the... Come on! was the stream that used to be overflowing with human blood. As occultists would offer human sacrifices to Pan and to Zeus and to Baal. It was known as the gates of hell. So Jesus takes his disciples there in the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asks them a question saying, I'm in verse 13, who do men say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others are saying that you're Jeremiah. You're one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered. and He said, you are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered unto him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, you are Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I give you the keys. I give you the keys. He's given keys tonight, folks. He's given you keys tonight. He is giving you keys tonight. That whatever you bind and you forbid upon the earth, it'll be bound in heaven. And whatever you permit or loose on the earth, it'll be permitted and loosed in heaven. And I said to you last week, ladies and gentlemen, this question had to be answered. This, this question was so imperative because Jesus, again, he was not checking his, his poll numbers. Jesus was seeking for divine revelation. And when God asks you a question, he's not looking for information. He's looking to see, is revelation being birthed in your spirit? Because revelation is what actually makes you come alive. Revelation is what establishes you. Revelation is what empowers you. Revelation is also what the enemy is able to see in the unseen dimension. He knows. He knows those Christians that are being destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. But he also knows those Christians that are being established in revelation that can move with authority and move using the name of Jesus and the power of God to be released. Because the church that Jesus is building is the church that the gates of hell do not prevail against. 
So Jesus is waiting and he's listening for a response. And this is what he turns and says, okay, they say, they say I'm Elijah. They say I'm Jeremiah. Who do you say that I am? Peter has a bursting moment of spiritual clarity. And he makes the declaration and Jesus tells him, this is not about flesh and blood. Nothing, I, I want to say it to you like this. Nothing in this dimension could have even revealed that to you. But you've understood a revelation from another dimension. You've understood a love that is not of this world. A love that is not of this world has broken through and spoken to your spirit and your heart. And it's my father. My father showed you this. And because of this, you are so blessed. And because of this revelation, I want you to know, I'm building my church on this revelation, the rock of ages, Jesus himself, that the gates of hell, they're not able to prevail because of Jesus Christ. Are you with me tonight? So last, last week we talked about this church, this ecclesia. It's what it means, ecclesia. It's far different from the English word church that we were aware of and that we know of. If you, want a, if you want a strong discourse on this, just grab the book tonight, Bold as Lions. This is right out of chapter 4, the prevailing church. Ecclesia, Jesus said, I will establish my church, the gates of hell. It will not prevail against it. This is a watershed revelation at this point. Literally, this is a shifting turning point in the message of Jesus. And it literally becomes the cornerstone for the kingdom culture to be birthed, to have authority and power in the earth. Hmm. So the disciples, they understood this word. They understood this word, ecclesia to mean that it was literally a culture or an assembly of people that they were given the power to govern the affairs of a city or a state in the context of like a parliament or literally a congress. Understand that. Last week we talked about in the Roman culture that ecclesia it was the assembly of people who were sent in to a conquered nation. First, Rome had to go in and conquer the nation, and then they sent in the ecclesia to go and retrain the people so that the culture literally would reflect Rome, so that everything about it would look Roman. So if Caesar came to a conquered region, he would see the arts, he would see the government. Everything would be reflective of Rome itself so that when the ruler came, he would feel at home in a new conquered dominion. So, so when Jesus introduces this, what he is saying is he's saying, I'm sending you as my ambassadors of my kingdom to go in authority and power over the enemy. We think, we think that when we just go and launch churches and we've got X amount of more churches in a city or region that the church is expanding and growing. I, I've told you last week, folks, I don't want to be disparaging, but big churches and growing churches all over the country 
We're still dealing with the epidemic and the problem that the enemy is still triumphing over the majority of the church. And I ask you soberly, why? We're not establishing embassies of power. We're not establishing embassies of authority over the works of the devil. We're establishing nice, cozy, comfort churches where everything, almost everything diabolical unto God is going on. That may really shock you. God help me tonight. Please help me. The ecclesia was sent to infiltrate government, social culture, language, the arts, education. They were sent to structure a way that people would think. Their actions, their way of life like the Romans. Jesus commissioned these disciples. They were going with the authority, first and foremost, that he was the resurrected son of God. That he was who he said he really is. And the power of that resurrection delivered them from the authority and the grip and the power of death. That they would literally not fear death itself. Think of that. What made these apostles effective They did not fear laying down their very lives for the sake of the gospel because they had seen and handled and felt and ate with a resurrected man. And it delivered them from the fear of death. Jesus told them to their face that they would drink the same cup. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the word witness is literally the word martyr. You will be my martyrs. You will go and you will lay down your life for the cause of the embassy of God, the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, the real ecclesia is at total odds with the tyranny of a corrupt, man-centered system in this earth. It's quiet in here. In biblical days, the ecclesia, they were who? They were the elders. They were the social watchmen. Are you a watchman? Are you a social watchman? Yes, you are. You're sitting in a company of people who are not only worshipers, but they're watchmen. They're warriors. There are warriors in this room, ladies and gentlemen. The ecclesia was sent to govern the affairs of culture. And the ecclesia decided, we talked last week, the ecclesia, they always met at the gates of the city for their village. They met where? They met at the gates. And what would they do at the gates? They would draft legislation to say what was allowed and what was permitted and what was forbidden. That's what the ecclesia did. 
the ecclesia talked amongst themselves and the villages and decided this is going to be our curfew. This is what we're going to allow business to do. This is where our children are going to be trained. This is how we're going to do our way of life in our province, in our village, in our city. Are you seeing the picture? And they were the ones that legislated how culture was going to act. How it was going to, 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 to function and be in unity. And then when those that broke unity through lawlessness, they also had legislation in place to deal with them. Let's just talk right now. Our nation is so filled with the spirit of lawlessness. Jesus said in the last days, he said lawlessness would abound. And what else did he go on to say? And the love of many will grow cold. I can't believe the lawlessness that we see in our land. I'm telling you, as for me, you don't have to shout me down or say amen, but I'm telling you right now, I am so sick of investigations that end up nowhere. I am so fed up and sick of the talk of investigations. I know I'm behind a pulpit right now. Y'all okay? I am so sick of investigations. Why? Because it is draining the very soul and the consciousness of the United States of America. We are being beaten and flogged and torn apart. We, we are in such a warfare and an onslaught for the very psyche, the very soul of our nation. And lawlessness is abounding. Lawlessness is abounding. But the ecclesia has to stand against us and say, no more. No more. No more. No more. We do not fight against flesh and blood. We do not fight against flesh and blood. I'm telling you, people are not our enemy. We know who the enemy is. But it is time for us to be so righteously bold and to stand up and proclaim the word of the Lord God. I'm trying to help you tonight. I'm trying to help you tonight. (laughs) Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. You are his ambassador. Put your hand over your heart. Just say tonight, Father, I'm your ambassador. I'm your ambassador. They were sent to the gates because gates give access and they give closure. Write it down. Gates give access and they give closure. This is a strong strong prophetic revelation for us for the true church. This declaration from Jesus is an extraordinary leap because we tap into our divine destiny. We tap into our authority and the dominion of the purpose of the will of God for every sphere of society that God says, I want you to step into. You have to be bold in this hour. You have to be bold in this hour and get alone with God and say, God, what do you want me to step into? What are you inviting me into? I talked about last, I think I talked with our men last week about a, a man named Guy Chevro many years ago in the outpouring, in the Toronto outpouring. A, a man of God named Guy Chevro was used by the Lord. He had this one primary message that he crossed the land with. He said, God initiates and we respond. God initiates and we respond. How do we know that? We, we love God because he first loved us. Amen. That's Bible. 
We love him because he first loved us. God initiates and then we respond. We don't go to God saying, we're going to do this and now I want you to bless it. That's not how it works. We go to God and then he initiates and we respond to the invitation by saying, God, I will stand with you and I will work with you and I will pray with you and I will believe with you. I will proclaim and profess with you. That's how it works. God invites and then you respond. And you step into divine callings and divine wooings of the Spirit of God and assignments. And it's different for every one of us. It's different for every one of us, and thank God it is. The ecclesia, by definition, is a governmental assembly. They have authority to function, fundamentally to bring forth the legislation and the will and the rule. The ecclesia are the ones who shoulder the responsibility as representative of God's ruling council in the earth. I want to say that again. The ecclesia are the ones who shoulder the responsibilities as representatives of God's ruling council in the earth. Christ is the head of the church, Ephesians 5, but we are his body. And again, from generation after generation, the body of Christ is in the earth to exercise the will of God so that it will be on earth as it is in heaven. Folks, if God was in control, the earth would look like heaven. But he gave us authority. He gave us the commission of dominion. God is in charge. Don't forget that. God is not a control freak. He's never been in control and he never will be in control. He's in charge. He gave you and I dominion and authority and put us in the earth so that heaven will be represented in the earth. That's why Jesus said, pray this way, that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Some of you are still doing a mind flip right there. God is not in control. No, he's not, folks. Now, we've been told that for forever. Folks, if God was in control, the earth would look like heaven. I'm going to preach that another night. I, 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 got to, I got to go there another night. This is important. I'm going to wrap up in just a few minutes. The ecclesia is God's living embodiment of Christ in the earth. Christ in the earth. Think about that. I was with Victoria and we were worshiping a little bit in our house before we came to this meeting. She said, Dad, she said, do you, do you know Reinhard Bonnke had the Lord say this to him in prayer? And the Lord told him, he said, Reinhardt, my word coming out of your mouth is just as powerful as my word coming out of my mouth. Yeah. Let your mind get renewed to that. That comes into the agreement with this right here. The ecclesia, the church. The church is the living embodiment of Christ in the earth. How in the world we ever got seduced to believe that we don't have any authority in the earth is beyond me. And the things that are being allowed to go on in the nations that God is saying, I want you to step up and deal with this. I want you to step up and deal with this. I've given you authority. I've given you the power of my blood. I've given you the power of my name. 
I've, get, I've charged angels all around you. Now go. <laughs> wow. Wow. I said last week, the ecclesia that we see in Scripture, it is founded upon the apostles and the prophets. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, and chapter 2, verse 20. The reason that the ecclesia is founded, see, Jesus is what for the church? He's the cornerstone. But the foundations are the apostles and the prophets. Who are they? They are the sent ones, and the prophets are the visionaries. And that's a much different wineskin than those that are pastors and caretakers. We need all of those. We need pastors. We need teachers. But according to Jesus, the foundation of the church is the apostles and the prophets. Who are they? They are the sent ones, and they are the visionaries that carry the authority and the power for the ecclesia to be established. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. Amen. Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark 11, verse 17. Prayer is the key power for the ecclesia. We were with our leadership last night, and I said, guys, the most important ministry that every one of us are responsible for is the ministry of prayer and intercession. The most important ministry. That goes for every one of us in this church. Prayer is the power of God. And prayer is the way that we strategically and accurately legislate change and transformation for our culture. That's where it starts. That's where it starts and that's where it continues and that's where it ends. That's how we're going to see strongholds of murder and drugs and sex crimes and trafficking and election fraud and corruption dealt with because there is a praying church before God that again is interceding and striking the ground again with the arrows and the arrows and they're striking the ground and striking the ground and striking the ground and they don't relent from it. See, it, 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 what is going on in this room right now is called repentance. It's changing your thinking. Rather than coming to a church to get inspired and get goosebumps the size of hubcaps and, and all of those things, you're getting a commission from heaven. You are called. You are appointed. You are anointed. God is sending you. You're the answer. You're the solution. He's sending us. We are in this together. We are being sent. We are being commissioned. This is our time. Glory to God. Glory to God. <laughs> wow. Lord, help me. I feel like my notes are having babies up here. Just, there's no, notes upon notes upon notes. I'm like, Lord, this is my God. I think I want to hit this again. I want, I want you to hear this tonight. There is legislation right now being drafted in the halls of Washington, D.C. that is demonically inspired and is creating unrighteousness in America. And where is the church? Where is the ecclesia that God is building where the gates of hell doesn't prevail against it? God is calling more William Wilberforces into the high places. 
I'm going to say it again. God is calling more William Wilberforces now in this era, in this era, in this time, into the high places so that we can go and plant the flag of Emmanuel in the top of the government mountain. It's happening. It's happening. And it's going to continue to happen. It's amazing. Radical homosexual agendas. Radical homosexual agendas flourishing in our county. Think about this. Founded by some of the most wealthiest men in the world. And they're demanding, it's amazing, they're demanding that governments in the earth openly support their cause. But I think what's most shocking about all of this is that governments are literally bowing down to their insane threats. Not the government of God. Not the government of God. Not the kingdom of God. Wow. We have a death, a death culture of human trafficking right now that is an absolute epidemic. We know about abortion. We know about drug violence. We know about gang warfare all around us. We, we can literally see the infrastructures of our cities. are the, Literally, the infrastructures of cities are collapsing. You don't believe that? Look at Tallahassee, Florida. And out of that, we wanted that mayor to run this state. Now, I know some of you just look, look sideways. You're like, man, I thought I went to church. This, this, is, this, is, this is political stuff. No, I, I'm telling you, we're getting our mind renewed. Because if Francis Asbury got off of his horse on Cattleman Road, there would be no distinction between church and state. He would come in here as a firebrand. He would preach the gospel, and then he would tell you what needed to be legislated in this nation to honor and fear God. Maybe I'm a circuit rider and I didn't know it. Maybe we are circuit riders. Maybe we need to awaken to this. And I've got to wrap it up. I just saw the time. Lord have mercy. I'm going to wrap it up. <laughs> I'm going to wrap it up. I want to say this again. I, this needs to be said. The church that Jesus is building for folks is, is far greater than just a campus that's being used a couple days a week that serves great coffee. That's not the church Jesus is building. That the lights go on a couple days a week and they've got a good service. Visitors are greeted. A little served up message. 19 minutes of worship. I'm not buying into that. I'm, I, I'm not buying into it. The church that Jesus is building, the gates of hell don't prevail against it. I see something coming. I, I'm telling you, I see something coming. An epic shift of God renewing the mind of nations, what the church really is. I see repentance going on. I see this divine shift of repentance so that we get a clarification, a definition of our identity and who we are as the church. And the world's going to start marveling of the engagement of the assignment that the church is taking on. 
When I, when I received videos from our team today at the school, interceding, worshiping, declaring, praying, I said, that's the ecclesia. That's the ecclesia. That's the ecclesia engaging the works of darkness and releasing the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, listen, we're going to see activity from God like thunder and lightning. Remember this. All around the throne of God is what? Tell me what, what's there. Thunder and lightning and fire. Thunder and lightning and fire. We're, man, I'm prophesying right now. I'm telling you, we are going to see such an engagement of God backing the church with thundering and lightning and fire transforming this region. It's going to happen. I'm going to close with this. I, I got Bible for this. I got Bible for this. In the, in, in the book of 2 Samuel, you know what happened? The people were being fearful of the enemy coming into Israel. And they ran to Samuel the prophet and they said, do something. Do something. Do something. Samuel builds an altar and brings a little baby lamb for sacrifice. And you know what happens? The Bible says that thunder boomed. And broke out in the sky over Israel. And it terrified all of their enemies. And they fled and ran for their lives. The Bible tells us all the days of Samuel. Mark it down. Read it for yourself. All the days of Samuel. The enemies could not breach those boundaries of Israel to come back in. You know when they were breached next? Under Saul's reign. You know who had to drive them out and secure the boundaries and the walls? David. But under Samuel, there was the blast from heaven, the boom. Here comes the boom. Here comes the boom. And I mean that. God's leading companies like this all over our nation and around the world. There's an assembling of people who are watchers. Watchers. They're watchmen. They're warriors. They're worshipers. And they're gathering and they're getting before God. They're not getting entertained. They're not getting entertained. They're getting before God. They're having heart-to-heart -heart encounter with God. I'm telling you again, Jerry, thank you very much. But I'm telling you, when we get our building, the day's going to come where we're going to dismiss service. We're going to get our kids, and then we're going to be back in the sanctuary, and we're just going to keep burning and burning and burning and burning and burning and burning and burning. Years in our past, we would start prayer at 5. Service would start at 6 o'clock. We would end around 8.30. We would take a half-hour break and pray from 9 to midnight. We raised our kids like that. We raised our kids in church like that. They showed up at 5 and left at 12.30 at night. We were trying to break out of the box and the tyranny of church life to build ecclesia and to burn before God. We, we are being summoned by the Holy Spirit for something that is supernatural. We are being summoned.
for something that is holy unto God. God wants this more than we've ever dreamed it. God wants this. God wants this. God wants His ecclesia. God wants His ecclesia being sent out all over this region. Teams sent out into the nation, to our capital, to the nations of the earth. God wants us sent out for healing, for restoration, for proclamation, for legislation. And any other Asian you can put on that. Any other adjective you could find. But it's true. So church, I love you. I love you. I am for you. I am with you. You are powerful in God. You are powerful. You are powerful. You are anointed. You are called. You are set apart unto God. You have been given a holy, powerful calling. You've been given the name of Jesus. You've been given the power of His blood. You have been given His authority. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're commissioned to go. Everything doesn't have to be right. Everything was not right in those 12 men's lives. And as they went, miracles started happening and going. Miracles were just there snapping bread and miracles are happening. They're laying hands on the sick and they're being healed. They're casting out demons in the name and the authority of Jesus. And as you go, say this, that the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus said. As you go, tell them the kingdom of heaven, it is at hand. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I love you. Let's stand tonight. Come on, all across the sanctuary. Cody, jump on that keyboard and fire it up. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. And let's, let's wrap this up tonight. I know I've went a little late. Father, I thank you for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that it comes by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. It comes by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I thank you for this beautiful church we call Victory. I thank you for these amazing people. Called out ones, your worshipers, your watchmen, your warriors. Lord, I pray that this week is a supernatural week of victory. That God, we pray that we seek your face. That we go out boldly. We share the gospel. We share our faith. We love. We serve. We confront the works of darkness. So I strengthen you, my dear friends. I strengthen you in Jesus' name. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His mind. Be strong and courageous. Put on the full armor of God. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. I bless you this week to get alone and quiet with the Lord. To say, Lord, what are you inquiring of me? What are you asking of me? Get your journal out. Write it down. Write the inspiration that comes up in your spirit and in your thoughts.
Holy Spirit, I pray for your divine inspiration to come upon us. You're going to give this church strategy corporately, and you're going to give us strategies individually to commission us, Lord. That, Lord, that this will be a sending station, Lord, throughout the entire legacy of victory, a church of his presence, that this will be a sending, coming and going, coming and going, coming and going station to loose the kingdom of God and the culture of the kingdom throughout the earth. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you shout the praise of the Lord tonight? Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com.